All right. Well, good morning, Antioch, Dallas. Uh, I'm so thankful to be here with you today. Good morning, family. You guys are my family. Did you know that? You guys are my family. Um, if you don't know uh, my wife, Meredith, uh, she's amazing. Uh, so I just wanted to say that real quick. Uh, anything I share up here today, half the work is kind of partly hers, because while I was preoccupied this weekend, she was taking care of everything else. So just know that, man, she, she sews in a lot to this church. So uh, we also have three kids together, Adelaide, Lachlan, and Alder, if you don't know us. And my role here is as family pastor. It's one of the things I get to do. And I'm excited today because that's what I get to talk to you about. It's about family. Uh, it's so I'm excited I did some push-ups before I came in here to kind of get my blood pumping, and it may, be, it may have been a little too much because I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling excited, so I'm slowing down. Got to slow myself down. So who here has heard of the Fire Festival? Anyone? Anyone? If you haven't, it's okay. There's a reason why you maybe haven't heard of it. So Fire Festival was supposed to be this luxury music festival. Uh, it was founded by Billy McFarland. The festival was scheduled to take place in 2017 on an island in the Bahamas called the Great Exuma. And the event was promoted on Instagram by top social media influencers, all sorts of things like that. And there's this announcement video where uh, the, the opening words are uh, something, oh yeah, what is it? It's the actual experience exceeds all expectations. It's like, it's like trying to be so hyped up. And, uh, and then it continues to promise a transformational weekend uh, that it would be this immersive music festival, the best in food, art, and music, and adventure, on the boundaries of the impossible are things that it used to describe itself. Even that the island was once owned by Pablo Escobar, because that's cool, I think. Uh, and so upon arriving at the festival, though, instead of luxury villas and the gourmet meals promised, and for which these attendees paid hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars, they received prepackaged cheese sandwiches of which you'll see a picture, in foam containers and FEMA disaster relief tents as their accommodations. There was literally no infrastructure on the island, little running water, porta potties like you'd find on a construction site, and inside, uh, yes, I have a picture of a porta potty, uh, and that's the actual, this is the actual deal. These aren't pictures I found of something else. These are from the, from the deal. And uh, inside the dirt floored tents, they found wet mattresses because it had just rained and soaked everything that morning. So festival attendees were brought from the airport by rundown, <laughs> by rundown school bus. <laughs> Sorry, it's just the, the idea of like this luxury festival and it's like rundown school bus comes to pick you up. It's great. It's too good. And so they're brought to this impromptu beach party where they waited for more than six hours until nightfall for further direction, which never came. And like a chapter out of The Lord of the Flies, they began to claim tents for themselves. And there wasn't even enough tents for everyone there. So literally some were stranded on the island the next day because the government shut down flights because they knew of the mounting issues that they were having. I mean, disaster. Like disaster relief tents are appropriate in this case. Like absolute disaster. Now, it's hard not to laugh at some of that, but as, as I talk about that, you know, it's, it's, it, there's funny parts, but at the same time, we realize that there is something deeply disheartening, deeply disturbing, and infuriating when our expectations of something are way out of line with reality. 
with the reality that we experience. You know, the expectations of those going to the festival were set by the purpose, by the promo videos, by what they were told it was going to be, that it was going to be like no other. It was going to break the mold for festivals. It was going to be the best in all these different areas. That purpose went unfulfilled. And people are not so forgiving, especially when it involves their money, their, 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 their assets, their money. There's been a slew of, loss, of lawsuits uh, that have been made against this guy, because whether it's uh, vendors who were never paid, lost revenue, even just for being involved, their reputation's damaged. I mean, people are going after him, and I don't blame them because they all think that how could you do this and not have been fraudulent, not have been trying to take people's money? That, that's what their assumption was. And man, when our expectations are not met, Based upon what we believe the purpose, something, the, the purpose of something is, man, we are disappointed. We have questions, right? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? I expected this, but man, this has been what happened. So where am I going with this? Why do I tell you this story? I tell you that because of what we're about to read in the book of Ephesians about the meaning of family and the stark contrast it has to our cultural beliefs. Often our experience within families or in our divine family, the church, can feel like the festival attendees. You know, we got into it with this set of expectations, but man, those have gone unmet or we've been disappointed in different ways. So I want to pose this question that if this is our experience, if this has been your experience, how do we, uh, do we hold any beliefs about the purpose of family that are fraudulent? or that are not based in God's vision of family, in the reality of family. And so today you might be going, all right, I'm single, I can check out of this message. No, Donnie, does this apply to me? Absolutely it does. Family is a relationship that none of us can escape. And that sounded dooming or, or ominous, but you can't escape it. You know, it's like the family is this relationship that's everywhere, it's in the church. You come from a family, if you didn't, then you're a reptile because you hatched out of an egg. Like you came from family. Even if you don't know your family, even if there's that pain there and that brokenness, we all come from families. We're all part of family relationships. God did not intend for you to escape the family relationship. In fact, he has power in it for you that's gonna transform your life and has transformed my, my life and has transformed many of yours. So I'm excited to share about this. And specifically, I want to address singles here. Don't check out on me. Whether you get married or not, I want to help you relate to families and see more clearly, not, that, not just that you belong, but that you're essential. Not just that, uh, well, I know the church at times has not done a great job of ministering to you in different ways. Whether it, sometimes it just kind of rests in singles nights and dating talks and things like that. There is more for you here on this topic of family. I'm looking at singles in the room. So, that's right. So, there's more for you, and I want to help you see that. I want to help you enter into it. So, do we hold any beliefs about the purpose of family that are fraudulent and not based in God's new vision of family? I've got points, so if you want to take notes, go for it. It'll help you remember things. All right, our culture's vision of family. So the current culture in which we live has a radically different, even hostile vision 
of family, of the purpose of family than Jesus does. It's not slightly off. It's not close to the mark. It's not just a few, it needs a few tweaks and then it's there. It's radically different. So much so that it literally turns the purpose that God has for it on its head. Family and the relationships within it have, have, have been privatized in our current culture. It's no longer seen as a public good. It's no longer seen as something deeply valued or that is this, uh, is this thing that God has created that is part of his will for our lives. Its purpose for raising children is largely viewed as obsolete. Or, or just optional, and in some circles, both marriage and families are seen as something that needs to be deconstructed or even done away with. Essentially, family and marriage, if valued at all, have turned inward and are now primarily about individual, personal self-gratification. This shift in our culture is not something that is, uh, that is unconscious or just kind of a way that it's drifting. It's overt. It is self-conscious. The New York Times columnist, one example of this, there are thousands of examples. The New York columnist Tara, Poker, Tara, Tara, Poker? Tara Parker Pope wrote an article entitled, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. In it, she says, the notion that the best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual may seem counterintuitive. After all, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Not anymore. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouses were secondary to the survival of the marriage itself. But in modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting, who help them each attain valued goals. And you might even read that and go, does that sound so bad? On this idea, Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says this, marriage used to be a public institution for the common good, and now it is a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals. Marriage used to be about us, but now it's about me. For, you know, for our culture, the first assumption that we see is that the end goal or purpose of family is our own happiness. Personal, individual, self-fulfillment, our own satisfaction. Culturally, the meaning of family has steadily become small, inward-focused, consumeristic in a way. Slowly, things valued have been placed on the altar of my own personal, individual gratification. And nothing is too high a cost. Whether it be our people in our immediate families, our children, our spouses, emotional health, our own personal integrity the effect it has on our extended families and communities. Life-altering sacrifices are made every day in the name of my happiness, my own happiness. To me, the most telling phrase, today's gonna get emotional, so just be prepared for tears. So, to, to me, the most telling phrase that we've all heard and which gives permission to this assumption, this idea, which our culture loves to declare, is that I have to stay true to myself. Or that's my truth, hashtag my truth. It's essentially attempting to give validation to whatever one wants to be true rather than to what is actually true. The phrase is used to justify beliefs or behaviors, things that, we, that people desperately want to be true, like I need to find that one person, you know, my soulmate, the person who accepts me as I am, doesn't need to change me at all. I need to find that person who, where if there's, you know, there's not gonna be any conflict, there's not gonna be any difficulty, because if there is conflict, if there is difficulty, if I feel like they're trying to change me, man, I'm out. 
And whether it be a marriage, a friendship, a parental relationship, any other, any other relationship, we're quick to bail when things get difficult or uncomfortable. This is, the, this is displayed particularly well in marriages when reasons like I married the wrong person are given or I fell out of love with them as if love is a curb that you stumble on. How do I, 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 you might've heard a little attitude in my voice there because it's poisonous. It's poisonous. If men, women, if you've thought that in your marriages, repent. Share it with a friend, go to a friend and repent because it will grow, but it's not true. How do I know that my wife was the right one? I've heard a pastor say this, or a pastor has said this. I married her. That's how I know. So staying in the family, we're gonna, we got a lot of content. Staying in the family for the sake of commitment, covenant, and our children. Here's another one. Staying in a family for the sake of, co- of commitment, covenant, or our children is old-fashioned and oppressive. I'm unhappy. There's no reason that I should have to stay in this agreement, this contract, that I should have to endure that. In fact, in an article in The Atlantic, it was suggested that a better way forward for legal marriage, even if kids are involved, ought to be a limited-term contract so that every two or three years, at the end of the term, if either party is unsatisfied, you're able to just, the the contract is terminated, essentially. Marriage and the nuclear family are oppressive, outdated, and on their way out is another assumption. 50% of all marriages end in divorce, right? That's the stat we've heard, 40, 40 to 50 so if that's the case, then the rest of marriages surely cannot beat you happy, right? If 50 are breaking up, then the other 50 probably aren't very happy. And honestly, that's just a sampling. I mean, I had difficulty whittling down this list of assumptions that our culture makes. And just some of the things I was reading was just astounding at how blatant they are just against God and his purposes for us in family and in marriage. So here are some statistics that I don't, that I don't that don't seem to mesh too well with their view of reality. Like the greatest percentage of divorces occur in those who marry too young. Those under 18 married less than three to five years. So if you get married in your early or mid-20s, your chances of getting divorced just from a statistical basis are drastically less. Or how about two-thirds of all new marriages that report they're unhappy if they stay together five years say that they're happy. Or how over the last 40 years, 62% of all people married said they were very happy, not just happy in their marriages, or how a stable family with a mom and dad increases the likelihood of positive life outcomes in children by 200 to 300%, or how second and third marriages increase the likelihood of divorce, 64% of second and 74 of third. Stanley Hauerwas of Duke University commented on the idea that I need to find that one perfect right person that's perfectly compatible with me, and he's overstating the point here to be funny and to make a point. He says this, the assumption is that there is someone just, uh, just right out there for you to marry, and that if you look closely enough, you'll find that just right person. This assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that you always marry the wrong person. <laughs> we never know who we marry. We just think we do. And even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change into the wrong person. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that you're not the same person after you've entered it. So set over and against our culture's cynical and negative view of marriage, there are tons and tons of data to support this. We could go on, but I don't, I, I don't want to convince you with data. That's not what moves my heart. 
I want to show there's a, there's a division between reality and what they're saying. But even if all the data said it was doomed, me and Jesus are going this way. Does that make sense? All right. So if this is the cultural ocean that we swim in, like, think about it. Every day. I mean, it took three seconds. Google search. Marriage. Out, outdated. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. Every single result was something about marriage, something about family, something about the family unit. If this is the culture that we swim in, if this is what we're saturated with every day, church, if this is in the TV shows that we willingly take in, if this is in the social media that influences us and shapes us, and it does, if this is the crushing pressure that our marriages and our families are under, if this is what our kids will hear when they're out and about and in schools, man, we need to come up for air. Like we need the fresh air of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're, if we're under this, this water of, that's heavy, man, we've got to come up. We've got to breathe in what God has for us. We cannot stay there. So what do we do? Man, we have got to see what Jesus has for us and take his vision of marriage and family and make it our own and walk it out and live it out, not just believe it. We need a new vision for family, and that's our second point for today. So first point was our culture, our culture's vision of family. Second point is a new vision for family. So let's turn to our, pas our passage in Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 4. It's a big chunk to see what Jesus has to say about family. Turn with me to Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 4. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as, I'm sorry, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Good. Nothing controversial there. We'll just move right along. Husbands, <laughs> love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, just a little bit to deal with there. Um, before we dive into this, there's a whole lot, okay? So I'm not, I, today, I'm not gonna go into each and everything. I want to. As your family pastor, my heart is there for you, and this is where I wanna lead us in. I wanna help lead you in these things. I wanna help guide you, shepherd you, care for you, talk with you. If you send me an angry email, please send me an angry email. I'd love to take you out to coffee. I'm not gonna respond to it that way. We're gonna go out to coffee and talk it out face to face because this is family. It's about relationship. Are you with me? 
All right. So before we dive into this, the context is massively important. We need to know the cultural context and the biblical context. So first, what's the context, the cultural context of this passage? Craig Keener, a scholar in the New Testament, gives us some help here. He says, the Greek thinker Aristotle, in his work on governance, which largely shaped the society in Paul's day that Paul found himself in, had a large section in it on family roles. In it, Aristotle instructed the male head of household how to rule his wife, children, and household slaves. And what we see here from the Apostle Paul, the author of of Ephesians, is fundamentally different from the current values of the day. So Paul here never instructs the male householder to rule. Instead, he is to love his wife, serving her by offering his life for hers and to avoid provoking his children and to treat slaves as fellow servants of God. So if you've been listening and you think our cultural context is unhealthy, Paul's is massively more so. The things that he's dealing with, the the things that he's coming up against, the things that he's challenging in the culture are massively more. I mean, our culture would agree with us on this one. This is unhealthy. I think you and I would agree. Our culture would say this is unhealthy. It's that bad in Paul's day that this is what he's coming up against. So, and children and wives were literally viewed as property back then. The, the, The male head of household could do whatever he wants with as he pleased. All right, so that's the, that's the cultural context. The biblical context, why is Paul saying this now in, this, in, in, in Ephesians? So this series we're in on Ephesians, it's about how we're supposed to live out our identity as sons and daughters, right? Okay, Paul's been leading us up to this point here. So uh, John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this. Paul has been outlining, so here's where Paul's been going. He's been outlining the new standards which God expects of, his, of, his, of this new society, of his new society, the church, especially in terms of its unity and its purity. These two qualities are indispensable to a life which is both worthy of the calling and the fitting and fitting uh, to the status of the people of God. So here, lean in. He moves on now to the new relationships in which God's people inevitably find themselves. So he's narrowing and talking about the actual relationships that you find yourselves in. The practical down-to-earth relationships of the home, lean in. For the divine family ceases, the church ceases to be a credible concept if it is not itself subdivided into human families which display God's love. What is the point of peace in the church if there is no peace in the home? What is the point? Peace in the home, peace in your homes, peace in your friendships are essential. We cannot live without that. We, and there's something missing here. So what are we missing? I mean, this is something we instinctively feel when we see, when we see a home break apart, when we see it affect communities. There's something that just, and we see those people are in the church and don't hear me as coming down hard on you if this has happened to you. I have all the, the compassion in the world. I come from a family of divorce. My mom struggled through that. Like, I get it. I get that there's pain. But when you see that, there's something that just says, it's not, it's not right. It's not supposed to be like that. And sometimes that's out of our control, like it was in my mom's case. So our relationships in our homes matter, not just for us individually, but for us as a church. So we're about to hit a banner verse for today that's going to shape and define everything that's coming. 
okay? Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Full stop. That's our first subpoint to a new vision for family. Family is marked by mutual submission. Church, this is crucial. And like I said, it's the banner verse for today. If you don't get this, the rest of what I'm gonna say isn't gonna make sense. So lean in here. Here's why this sentence is just fascinating to me. So nerd moment, geek. There's a debate as to whether or not this verse concludes the previous paragraph. So in the ESV, you'll see it's the last verse of the previous section. There's a debate over whether or not it concludes that previous paragraph or if it's the beginning of this one. So I'm in the camp that I think it's a little bit different than that, that it's a bridge between the two, that it both carries the weight of the previous passage and informs the rest. Another reason why I think that's true, hang in here with me, is that verse 22 literally doesn't have a verb in it, in the Greek. Verse 22 doesn't have a verb at all. It, it reads literally, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. It doesn't stand on its own. So verse 21 is providing the verb for verse 22. So if this is the banner verse over everything that's to follow, and it is, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Essentially, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus because Jesus modeled perfect submission to God on your behalf. So what does this verse mean? What does submission mean? Remember this verse we're talking about, everyone, not just wives, not just husbands, not just children, not just fathers, every follower of Jesus is to follow this command. When we look at Jesus, we see perfect authority and power. We see God in the flesh, and then we, over here, we see incredibly humility and submission perfectly to the Father. We literally see submission to God walked out perfectly. Jesus, like, Jesus modeled this and out of reverence for him, because of how Jesus did it, we ought to submit to one another. Even Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, Matthew 20, 28, said this, I came not to be served, but to serve. It's absurd. The God of the universe would come to serve us. It's amazing. Makes me want to get down on my knees and worship and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right. Or in Philippians 2, 5 through 10, speaking of Jesus, it says, it says here, there's another part in scripture, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what does it mean to submit yourself? The key is here, taking the very nature of a servant. Essentially, as a follower of Jesus, have that mindset in your relationships. Verse 21 of our passage is saying the same to everyone in the church in each of the relationships that, and, and in each of the relationships that are to follow. In fact, in order to be a follower of Jesus, we must be submitted to Christ. Submission to Christ is by definition being a follower of Jesus. Like church, walking with a heart that loves submission should not be a problem for us. It should not be controversial to love submission, to pursue it. Does that make sense? All right. This verse is telling us that submission to one another is what comes out 
of submission to Jesus. It's the natural product of it. And it's this kind of submission that forms the next verses. So Paul now uses the following verses to tell us what submission looks like in each of these relationships. I'm not going to read all of the text. I want to point to certain pieces of it. So look at this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And husbands, in the same way, ought to love their wives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up, what? In the training and instruction of the Lord. Each and every passage is set and framed by our submission to Jesus. That's what influences it. Not our culture. So, verse 22 through 24 regarding wives. Wives. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. All right. Just finished puberty. There we go. Now, I forgot to turn that over. You're wondering what that is. I'm not timing myself. Don't worry. Um, so, Verse 22 through 24 regarding wives and 25 through 33 regarding husbands are essentially saying wives in relationship with your husbands and husbands in relationship with your wives emulate Christ. Your role is to be like Jesus. If you didn't already know that, <laughs> but now it's specific. Here's how. Here's what it looks like. Now, why? Because that's what Jesus modeled. Again, we're going back to our point. Submission displays God's covenant-keeping love. And we see it even laid out more apparently when they're talking to husbands. So, second sub-point. Our culture's vision for family is number one. A new vision for family. And then under that, family is marked by mutual submission. Because Jesus modeled it. Verse 21. And then, mutual submission displays God's covenant-keeping love. Now... Pause. Is there room for more discussion about what this looks like? Because I know you've got questions. I've got questions. They popped up in my head. As your pastor, like I said, I want to help you through this. I want to provide healing, grace, clarity, all those things. Personally, do my wife and I believe that men or women are equal in value? Absolutely. Yes, we do. 100%. So does Jesus. Do my wife and I believe we are uniquely made and have unique roles to fulfill in marriage relationship? Yes, we do. That's our view. That's what we see in Scripture. But what does that mean in our context, in our context today? What do, you, what do you see in the scripture? I want to hear that. What Are we complementarian? Are we egalitarian? Something else? What I mean, if, if wives should submit as to the Lord, what does that mean? This verse has been egregiously abused in the past. To put women down and hold them down. I've got a daughter. This, is, this has been what it's used for. So if we're supposed to submit as to the Lord, does that mean... That if there's an abusive situation, we don't submit to that. I would think, I don't know. There's so many questions here, and I want to walk us through those things. I want to talk through those things, and we will, and that's my heart for you. But I do not want you to miss the glorious, countercultural, beautiful forest for one tree in that forest. There is something big here for us today. Now, in our, con or sorry, if you want to navigate this successfully. I mean, so many people walk, about, walk away from this passage with hang-ups 
about who's in charge. That's absurd. I'm telling you now, that is absurd to walk away from this. And the only thing you can see is, wait a second, am I in charge or is she in charge? <laughs> like, who, who's the, what, what is that? What is it about our minds that keep wanting to see how we can lord it over other people? Stick here with me. It's, Paul is writing this to the Ephesians to counteract that exact sentiment. That's why the passage to husbands is so long. Not because they're super special. It's because they're, they're in this. That's the culture they're operating in. This is the norm to rule your wife, to rule your children, to do with them, with what, to do with them as you please. Paul's counteracting this and pushing this and saying, husbands, you be like Jesus. Your wife needs you. Die for her if you need to. He's, he's upping the ante for husbands, not because they're special, but because they have this unique role to die for their wives, to lay their life down, not to lord it over them. Verse 21, remember, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, here's a way that looks. Husbands, here's a really long way that looks because you need it at this time in culture. Children, and it goes down the list. Husbands, I'm a husband. I want to pastor you now with love and a firm hand. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her and loved her like his own body. In fact, more than his own body. Enough to, to die, to let it be tortured. Husbands, how you doing this morning? How you doing with that? I love you. And that's why this is coming out of me, because I see this in myself. I see the, the push to not submit in me. Husbands, if you're steamrolling your wife's concerns or desires in your relationship because, you're, because you wear the pants, you're not in submission to Christ. If you're steamrolling her. If you only serve her or show affection or encourage her when she loves you first, you're not in submission to Christ. If you only... Wives, if you encourage your husband when he's only on his A-game or when he's succeeding in every area, you're not in submission to Christ. Wives, if you only show him encouragement and love and affection after he does what you want him to or when he's desperate, you're not submitted to Christ. Wives and husbands, if you only repent and apologize once they go first and apologize first, you're not in submission to Christ. Serve your spouses. Serve your families. Not because they're perfect, not because they've earned it, but because that's what Jesus has done for you. Like he's done this radical thing and given you new life. Be filled up and give it away. Church, did Christ die for us when we were lovely? No, when we were hideous and ugly, nailing him to the cross. And that's when he saves us. Wives, husbands, wives-to-be, all those who, are, who will pursue celibacy, any category you find yourself in, those who come from broken families, we as a church, as followers of Jesus, need to wake up about this passage and what it means for us and how we're to relate to one another. Our families need to be marked, shaped, influenced, defined by submission to one another. So Christ's covenant-keeping love literally is going to be made known in them. First to one another, then to our children, and those immediately around us, our friends, and then the church, and then the world. 
to literally display God's love to them. And singles, to you specifically, I mean, how are you to walk in singleness within your family or within your divine family, the church, in submission to Christ and to one another? <laughs> I know it's like simple, in submission to Christ and to one another. I know and have heard from many of you that a pain point is when people around you get married and start to vanish like you're in a left behind novel. You know, or, or you know, how, how do you walk in submission to Christ and those in your divine family? Be submitted and take the form of a servant. And if they're submitted to Christ, they'll serve you. Objection, but wait, 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 wait. Who's supposed to serve who first, right? I mean, they've never reached out to me. They all seem so busy. Yes, they're busy with diapers and doo-doo and discipleship, <laughs> like all sorts of things. They're, they're on top of whatever else they had. Reach out to them. Offer to watch their kids. Offer to help them with things. And they will love you for it. And they will invite you into their lives and then you'll have spiritual fathers and mothers to run and do life with. Singles, look around you. They're here, your spiritual fathers and mothers. They're here and they want to invest. Kids in the room, how are you to walk in submission to Christ with your parents? Is it only when mom and dad give you what you want? Kids, is it only when mom and dad give you what you want that you listen to them and obey? No, of course not, because you need ice cream all the time, right? It's when you obey mommy and daddy that God is honored and that you're in submission to Christ. Fathers in the room, are you frustrating your children by wielding a heavy dominant hand or maybe you're passive and checked out, frustrating them in other ways? Take the time. Fathers, press in and take the time to love your children and spend, sacrifice the time you need to train and to instruct them. This passage is not merely about husbands and wives, kids and fathers. It's about the divine family of God. It's about every person in this room. And if you're not part of the divine family of God, if you don't know Jesus, you got an invitation today. And if you walk away thinking, yep, my wife, husband, friend, they should be submitted to Christ. Wrong takeaway. <laughs> Jesus is looking at you right now. When you meet him one day, he's not going to look at you and say, hey, why didn't Joe submit to Amy that one? Or why did, sorry, wrong example. Why didn't, why didn't, uh, why didn't Meredith submit to you that one time and, and, and serve you? He's going to look at me and ask me about that. He's going to require an account from me. What is the point of peace in the church if there is no peace in the home? Guys, the stakes this morning are huge. And paradoxically, you know, does... I talked about personal fulfillment earlier, and that's the culture's main goal. Does personal fulfillment happen in marriage? Yes, absolutely it does. Is happiness a result? Yes. Is pain sometimes a result? Yes. Is heartache sometimes a result? Yes. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. I mean, I mean honestly, what if Jesus had said, I want the joy, but not the sacrifice? What if Jesus said, I, I said, I want the happiness, but not the pain. I want the pleasure, and I don't wanna, but I don't want to serve. I don't, I don't, uh, he would have literally forfeited it. He would have forfeited the blessing that you and I are now under and receive. Isn't that amazing that he didn't, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he was tempted. He said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to God. And man, what an incredible submission it was. It modeled it for us in every way. 
So Donnie, you know, I get all that, but where's the gospel in all this? I feel kind of heavy now, like I need to go submit to something. You know, like there's, there's all this, I feel like I've failed. You know, I go out and, I, and I, I've, I see all the ways that I've failed to do this. Have you been struggling to submit yourself to God? Welcome to the church. You're in the right place. You're in the place where you've received the grace of God. So you're in the family. If you sin again, you're not cast out. The blood of Christ covers you. You're in the family. God's love is not removed from you. You're reconciled. You're healed. This is amazing. You are here in this church because this is the place for people who are sick, not for people who are well. This is why he went to the cross in an ultimate act of service for us. We needed it. The church is the place where people know we need and are desperate for Jesus. He's provided the forgiveness and grace that we need. Now, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit and end. So band, if you can come up. I know I'm up here preaching, uh, but in many ways I'm telling my testimony. I'm telling my story. Uh, Early in life, my father left about a week before my first birthday. Uh, My mom had to raise us on her own. And only now that I have three kids, uh, like my mom did, do I understand how difficult that was for her. And then growing up, I was single, obviously. I wasn't born married. Uh, I've, I've been engaged. I've been engaged. And then had that engagement broken apart by infidelity. And my hopes of marriage kind of torn apart in the moment. And so I was single again. <laughs> and then I found Meredith. And I chased her like a dog chasing a car. And, and when, I, when I caught up with her and she said yes, I didn't know what to do with her. I was like, she said yes. You know, it's like I had no idea. I didn't have guidance. I didn't, I didn't have a father who taught me and showed me those things. But I did have a father. Oh, man, if I had a father. Father God and the church. I could not have walked the path I've walked without the church. God was there. Oh boy, was he there. But it was through the church that he provided the fathers that I needed. It was through the church that he came to me, that he ministered to me, that he blessed me, that he loved me. Man, for all those life changes, for all those joys and pains in my life, my father in heaven has been there for me and the church has been there for me. When I became a dad, when I became a husband, I mean, I, could, I had a whole list of names I won't be able to go through. I'm so sad, but it's like Keith and Megan Roberson. They, they let me watch their kids and babysit them. It's just a single guy. which is kind of weird. Usually guys don't ask for that. But I said, I'm desperate to be around you. I'll watch your kids if I could be around you and your family. Jeremy and Kara Lee West, Randy Turner, all these people, Zach Daniel, all these people that have invested in my life have been spiritual fathers to me. Guys, when you submit to Christ, whether you have human family or not, you get a new divine family. And you're called to be submitted to that family, to be submitted to one another. His body out of reverence for him. You're called to be submitted, to sacrifice, to love his church, your brothers and sisters. But that's only come, all those good things in my life have only come through submission to the church and and to the Father and then to others. 
Our prayer and prophetic team is gonna be up here. And man, if you felt anything today, you, you and your spouse are like, we've been kind of button heads. We have not been serving each other lately. We wanna pray for you as a couple. If you're single and you feel like, man, I've got all these different questions, we wanna pray for you. If you're a family and you want us to pray for you, man, we would love to pray for you. Our, our prayer prophetic team is gonna be up here as we respond in worship. Let's worship, church.